Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, you awesome listeners, to your Wednesday episode. I have for you today a listener-submitted story by Fee Stringer, a story titled The Old Growth, which has mystery, madness, parasites, and some seriously bad decisions. <laughs> if you like slow burners, this will be right up your alley, and will be a two-part series, mates. A huge thank you to Fee for sending this through, and I encourage you writers out there to do the same. Send your stories to stories, fables, ghostlytales at gmail.com, and I can't wait to see what you have in store for us. Now, before I sink my teeth into today's episode, I must thank the awesome people that support this show. Today's stories for you lovelies are going to have a more menacing tone. A little bit of villainy, I think, to spice things up for you. First up, my Ode Night Tea Titans, Matthew J. Bauer, the Soul Seeker. They say he was a farmer of Tulo Forest, who was overrun by the weeds of a cursed lake, poison from the mirth leaves seeping into the waters for years. Seemingly overnight, the farmer became something else. Although he hasn't disappeared entirely, he walks through the lands, found wandering through forests and glades with glowing blue eyes, seemingly reaching for something just out of grasp. Those that see him need know this. Never look into the seeker's eyes. The weeds, you see, listen to his wants, and you'll be pulled beneath the glades, never to be seen again. Maya of the Marshes Tales of the Rotox Marshes speak of a creature that dwells deep in the muddy marshes, said to lure travelers and merchants to their demise, with polished stones and earthly gems. The marshes are governed by a spirit that haunts this place, originally a human said to have perished when their merchant cart was pulled into the marshes by their horses. Legend says that a single hand will often be seen rising out of the marsh at night. Should it point to you, and only you, a reward lays near the break of the shore. But should you only see a closed hand raised to the moon, a force will drag you to the muddy marshes, never to be seen again. Solstra, the Vines of Mirth Expansive forests are known to have their troubles in the land of Mulra, but none more so than the Vines of Mirth. These vines were said to be protectors, and they were, once. Mirth vines, however, have been since corrupted by insidious desires to consume, pushing past the boundaries of the marshes and glades and into towns they have left unchecked. One cut from the mirth thorn will drive a human to the brink of madness. Paranoia, rage, hearing voices, and personality disorders are symptoms to expect from merely one cut. There is no cure, only that to endure for one month. But many never survive. Hope you lovelies enjoyed your stories. I wanted to keep them natural yet just like old growth, parasitic, with a little splash of villainous undertone. Let me know what you think. Cheers, you amazing people, for your brilliant support. And my white tea warlords, I own cows, the Hooven Plague. Cows around Mora were ravaged by the Hooven Plague, driving herd into mass consumption, devastating grass fields with a non-stop grass-eating force that would leave the natural landscape barren and inhospitable for flora and fauna to live in. The Hooven Plague was discovered when the small particles of the Casteria oversector plant landed in the nearby springs, infecting the minds of cows connected to the water source. Even as the cows die due to consumption and exhaustion, their bodies decompose, bones chip away, and new Casteria particles float into the sky, and thus the plague is reborn. Lee Bauer, the Wooden Warrior in the forests of Tarul lies a cursed prince, unbeatable in combat for many have tried, and despite being composed of wood, never burns, even when attempted to be set alight. A legend speaks of a warrior who unknowingly drank the sap of a terror tree, for which grew inside him and consumed his body, but not his mind. He has been seen wandering, like the soul seeker, through the forests, weeping and moaning for the agony it brings and for the souls he has crushed with the force of nature that now manipulates his body. Thank you both 
for your support, mates, and I hope both your stories were up your alley. And of course, my Elgrain forces, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lorraine Crisanto, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, Robert Fisher, and Tasha Moncrief. Thank you all for your support. You put a pep in my step. Now turn off the lights and enjoy the first part of The Old Growth, a tale of parasitic terror. The Old Growth I sit in this well-furnished room with green tea still hot on the table next to me, and I admit that, peeling back the layers of denial and self-distraction from the drugs and other unwholesome activities in the sexual realm, have been much more painful and difficult than I had imagined. Remembering it as a far worse form of destruction I could ever cause myself than any of the needles in my veins. The prostitutes I have visited, or the other masochistic acts I have experienced in the autumn following that summer. It is true I am no longer in a hospital of any kind. I am in an apartment that my father has furnished and pays for. He thinks that I am clean now, but he is mistaken, with the exception of the last week or so, in which I have only relocated myself long enough to communicate with you. And when I'm done, I am almost certain that I will go back to the horrible behavior that caused you to go, and eventually had me end up in the institution. I am sure my father will catch wind of it, and I will once again be behind bars in a padded room. I long for it, in a way. The sweet chemical haze, and the inability to remember the filling of some young thing's mouth, hands, and sex on me to keep the memory at bay. But you are my wife, Leah, and I know that it will not be for much longer. But I still need to tell you what kind of world our daughter may find herself in someday, and it may end up being sooner than I pray. I would love for her to grow up and make a life for herself, to fall in love, to have a family if she chooses, and perhaps feel that there is nothing at all wrong in the world besides the usual vitriol spewed out about disease, war, and malign humanity that we live in every day. That would be a hard enough thing for someone to endure, but at least it would still be possible. My obligation, though, is terrible, and I suspect it will bring no joy to her or you, Leah, but I think it is necessary that I tell you both just the same so she can someday use the knowledge to live her life however she may see fit. I suspect you will also have reluctance to even show her these words someday, and she is only a year and a half old and will not understand any of them for quite some time, if she ever does, or for that matter, if I or you ever understand them either. It had started when I was hired by Cole, You'd know him, he worked for the magazine a few years ago. Cole had gotten fired by the magazine around the time they switched over to becoming an online-only publication. But they told him that he had been doing too much with the company's resources for his own project and used that as the excuse to get rid of him. He had been working freelance since that time and gotten involved with some odd people. He was still freelancing and stuff, but only making a third about what he used to. But he got that girlfriend of his, the really pretty one with green eyes, but who was always really pale. Brianna? But she started getting him more and more work with all these strange groups that needed to get publications out, and needed some stuff written up here and there for their lawyers and junk. I honestly am not sure what he was doing for the most part. Anyway, he needed a film guy for this one project, so he looked me up. This was right around when you were having the complications with our daughter. So we really needed the money for the copays. But you know all that. When I had to take that last minute trip to Alaska and stuff. I know you didn't want me to go. That might have been my first mistake, really. You said it would be okay as long as I stayed. That we would make it through somehow without the money. But I didn't listen. Instead, I told you I would be back before the baby was born. And I would send you money and it would be for the best, 
and that I would only be gone for a few weeks. I was right about the money, but nothing else. We met in Anchorage, Alaska. Cole looked a strange combination of exhausted and elated at the same time. I had never known that such a state was possible, least of all for him. Me being used to the more relaxed and zen Cole from years ago. He had a large cup of coffee and smiled when I sat down. Eric, he began. Thank you so much for coming all the way up here. Flight okay? Yeah, I said, shaking his hand, which he then pulled in for a combination handshake hug. I sat down. I could not help but notice how stunning the late August light was. The sun in Alaska during the summer is often written about, but the words never do it justice. Although I was missing the whole midnight sun part of the year, it still had quite an effect. The flowers outside the window of the cafe had huge blossoms, almost as if they had been starved for light, and then had engorged themselves all through the season. So, Alaska, Cole, that seems a bit out of the way, especially for you. I said in a friendly way as a cup of coffee was set down before me. We both sipped the coffee for a few moments before he continued. Yeah, well, where the wind takes you can sometimes be Alaska, I guess, he said. I couldn't tell if he was feeling defensive or just tired. Yep, I agreed. I think me being here is evidence of that. When I said this, he managed a chuckle. (laughs) Your email was a bit vague. I continued. You said that Brianna found you this gig in an area around Umate? Yeah, he said. A group up there is trying to get land rights in the area. They are having some trouble with some of the old oil and military stuff up there. Okay, I said with a smirk on my face. But what I don't understand is, and I'm not trying to sound ungrateful, but who would be doing anything up there really? I googled the place, Cole. I mean, I had never heard of it until you mentioned it, but it looks like it's not even really a town, just a campsite for oil techs during the summer that used to be oil and government owned. Yeah, that's right, he said, taking another drink of his coffee. He looked absentmindedly out of the window to the large dog tied to the signpost, almost as if I had said nothing. They refueled planes there from time to time. I waited a beat, giving Cole some time to get into some more detail, and when that didn't happen, I decided to ask again. I am just wondering why you are here, and more importantly, why I am here with my gear. I have done some outdoor shoots before with people and even some models, but if you're looking for some kind of... I stopped, unable to find the words. Some kind of what? He asked in a tone that was so polite It made me almost furious. (sighs) I sighed, hoping my frustration showed enough to be noticed, but was restrained enough to still feel polite. Some kind of National Geographic shoot or something? I said. I have some outdoor stuff, but if this is going to like, you know, getting all up on polar bears and shit, I am not the right guy. Cole's focus returned again to the conversation from wherever his mind had wandered when I made my statement. <clears throat> oh, sorry. He cleared his throat. No, nothing like that, really. There is a sort of commune out there. Not in the camp, but a few miles away. Kind of up the slope. They are trying to keep their home there, but it is technically not their land. They just sort of settled there a bunch of years ago. Okay. I nodded feeling more agreeable now that he started talking. Some kind of Native American or Inuit group? Cole shook his head. No, nothing like that. It's more like a group that gathered there to get away from it all. For their own reasons. More like some hippie commune then? I asked. Cole thought about this for a moment and took another gulp of the coffee. Yeah, I guess so. He finally submitted. What have you been doing up here with them, Cole? I mean, a freelance copywriter is hardly in demand for most hippie communes, I would imagine. He giggled in agreement. Yeah, I guess so. He cleared his throat again, which brought my attention to the fact that he apparently had a cold or something of the like. 
which went a long way to explaining his absent-minded demeanor. See, the thing is, this group probably doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of staying where they are. I know that, and so does Brianna. But they have a bit of money from one of their folks who inherited some family estate, and they want to make one last-ditch effort to look legit and try to stay. They hired me a few months ago, so I have been writing some of their documentation with a lawyer here in Anchorage, trying to get them some traction. It was a strange job that he was talking about. So strange that if it had come from anyone else, I would not have believed it. But Brianna had gotten him into some really odd stuff since they knew each other, and this would kind of go in line with it. I remember at one point she had him on some kind of oil platform in the South Pacific where they had made a geological discovery that they wanted him to write about. A light bulb went off in my head that there was a common thread with her, oil money. And all of a sudden, these little jaunts to remote locations on the globe fell into the category of economic instead of just plain odd. Maybe she was some kind of activist against the industry. Who knows? But the down-to-earth thought of either greed or fighting greed brought the whole concept back into familiar territory in regards to what might be driving coal. She, she must, must be, be a, a great, great lay, I felt like saying, but thought better of it before I spoke. Where do I come in? I asked, keeping it business. They want some photographs of their life and home up there. They make some arts and crafts. Of course, some of it gets shipped there over the land, since there are no roads and such up there. But they mainly want someone to take pictures and capture the community and humanity. Arts and crafts. Hmm. I repeated, now fully sure that this was a hippie commune. So they come up here in May and leave in September when it starts to get too cold. Mm-hmm. Corresponded, which I took as agreement. It still didn't make much sense to me. This was the Arctic Circle after all, and it was all this bleak tundra, even in the summer, when there was some green. There was a whole lot of nothing, which I guess was the point. There was a river. There were people, sort of, a few miles away. Why do you need me for so long? Again, not complaining, the money is great, but a few pictures usually only takes a day or two. When he didn't respond right away, I continued. Unless I am doing some kind of extensive study on exotic lichens and inner city penguin issues. Penguins are at the South Pole, Eric, he said flatly. His lack of humor in the statement made me feel a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. They have some odd need up there to be truly understood. What do they call themselves, if anything? I asked. Exemplar Radix. Sound like a bad guy in one of those Tom Hanks movies. I shrugged. It's their dime. Just with the baby coming along soon, wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be worshipped as some kind of Christ-like figure and have hippie chicks throwing themselves at my cock thinking it will make them immortal or something. <laughs> In your dreams, dumbass! <laughs> he said with an honest laugh this time that put me at ease. Leah's pregnant? Yeah. It's yours? This time, I laughed. Before the plane was going to leave for the airfield, it occurred to me that I might be spending a couple of weeks with vegetarians and vegans, so I stocked up on some jerky and other unhealthy foods that would be bad for me with their sugars and chemicals. The Radix would just have to deal with it. I had assumed that Brianna would be waiting for us and fly up, but Cole explained that she was already in the compound and we would be meeting her there. The quite remarkable landscape around Anchorage soon changed to the tundra and meandering floodplains in the northern part of the state. To call it otherworldly would have been an understatement. Even though the land was lush this time of year, the unmistakable bleakness still shone through. The fact that the green fields of grass and wildflowers were visible from the plain did little to conceal the fact that most of the year it was a dead and empty cold realm. The earth here looked so untouched by man that one almost forgot that we were breathing the same air that they were in Boston or in Bangkok. Only the occasional structure or discarded metal from oil drums broke the visage. 
It was strange listening to Cole talk about all the scientific aspects of the area, not just the oil, but the way that despite the bleakness, how life clung to the area, even if it was just dormant under the ice and snow of the season. How a lot of life had been unknown until recently, and that only through some of the more modern technologies we even knew anything about it. As I listened, I noticed that Cole must have been even more sick than I had originally thought the day before. His eyes were bloodshot, and his skin was clammy. I asked him about it, and all he could really say in response was that it had been something he had been fighting on and off for the last few weeks, and the beer the other night probably didn't help. I called you the night before and left a message. I told you that I loved you, and that I would be out of cell range for quite a while, but I didn't know if you ever got that message, because it never came up. I think even then I could sense something was going on with me, that something was wrong. When we were in that plane, my skin was almost trying to warn me. I kept getting chills and dryness in equal intervals, and I kept on having to drink water. If I had been a little bit smarter, I could have read these signals more accurately, but I was just still thinking of how much they were paying. I just blew it all off as pressure changes and general jet lag. We landed at the airstrip in Umait, had a meal in the dining commons and checked my email for what ended up being a long time. The people there were friendly enough, I remember, but they did not have much to say, honestly. They looked at Cole with distrusting eyes, but he ignored it for the most part. But I could feel that same distrust in their eyes as they looked at me. I knew better than to create a problem, though. So while we waited for the ATV to come and take us to the compound, I went for a walk. It was windy and the grass around the river swayed in it soothingly. I think you would have loved it, to be honest. There were insects buzzing when the wind died down and the sun hit the clouds. That made me feel very peaceful. At the same time, I still felt that miasma everywhere I went, like there was always something else there that was aware of me. I know this is a normal paranoid feeling for a lot of people with mental disorders, and how I acted, and will most likely continue to act when I return, will probably support the theory that I am mentally ill that most people who knew me seem to share. But I assure you, Leah, this was different. It was more than my head. I saw the vehicle come from over the slope. It was an impressive thing with treads and looked like it could handle almost all the elements, including snow, without a problem. The driver was a girl in her teens. She looked pretty tough. Unfortunately, she also had the same bug going around that Cole had. She never took her sunglasses off, but the skin on her face and hands had that same oily quality. Although being ill did not slow her down at all. She was handling herself with much more chutzpah than Cole. She was friendly and did not talk much on our way, but hummed gently. Most of the ways we crossed the bizarre landscape of grey rocks combined with dirt and green plant life. By the time we reached the compound it was twilight and there was a chill in the air, which I am told was normal due to the temperature extremes in the Antarctic Circle. I got out and stretched my legs and finished the bottle of water, panicking for a moment when I realized I had no idea how this group handled their trash. But I saw there were other empty bottles in the vehicle, so I just tossed it in with the rest when no one was looking. I unloaded my bag and tripod and looked around a bit. The compound really was more of a series of two steel barn buildings and about three trailers, which I imagine had been a pain to get to this spot without normal roads. There were also a few other shacks, one of which I assumed was an outhouse, and others were supplies. There were a few garden areas, but very little was growing within them, which I found odd. A generator was running outside of one of the larger buildings, supplying some dim light, and there were quite a few campfires as well. All in all, I suspected about 40 people lived there. Cole had walked away, so had the driver which left me standing in the fading light for a couple of awkward minutes before someone came out to meet me. 
The man was older and walked with confidence as he approached. I dropped one of my bags to shake his hand. I am Raphael, he said. It is a pleasure to meet you, Eric. His body language showed that he was very self-assured, but his voice had almost no power. It was nearly a whisper, as if he were barely able to get the words out. He picked up a few of my items and gestured towards one of the powered trailers. As we walked to the trailer, I looked around and did not see Cole, and around the fires there were very few words being spoken. I half expected some hand drums and an acoustic guitar to start, but the folks around the fires were silent. They appeared to be lost in some kind of meditation, as I could hear that all of the breathing was in sync from the occupants. The inside was very dim, which was to be expected given the fact that it was all run off a generator. But it was also very musty. There were several air fresheners hanging from the ceiling to try to help, but it added to the miasma instead. I put my things away and stepped outside, wanting a cigarette for the first time in 15 years. It was almost dark with the amazing Alaskan sky and stars. The wind picked up and I zipped up my jacket. Cole finally approached with Brianna. They were holding hands, which is odd for Cole, even in the best of circumstances with a lady. But Brianna had changed a lot about him. Liking it okay? He asked. Yeah, it's cozy. But where does everyone else sleep? There are only a couple of other trailers, and I doubt all of them could fit. We sleep in the main building there. He gestured. Kind of a dorm-like thing. We? I said, noticing that he had associated himself directly as one of the Radix. He looked at Brianna and then continued. Yeah, well, it just started to make more sense, you know? I didn't know, but was not going to press him in front of his girl, who undoubtedly was at the controls of this particular episode of Cole's life. Okay, I said with a small shrug. Brianna finally spoke with that unidentifiable accent she has. If you recall, somewhere between Slavic and Californian, if that's possible. We thought you would be more comfortable here with your privacy. I could not help but think once again about how intense her eyes were. Thanks, I said, breaking into a polite smile. I was beginning to feel like the unwitting guest being shown to his rooms in the haunted castle. I actually giggled at the thought for a moment until I realized that it was not really that far-fetched. As you read this, I am sure you are wondering how I could have been so foolish, so apathetic to the situation that I was placing myself in. But whether I was aware of this or not at the time, would have changed very little as the events that were happening and are continuing to happen. I was merely observing. I really wish my ignorance could have survived this, but sadly all I can do is try to lessen the pain that I have for knowing what I know. I cannot end my own life because I created another life with you, and she might be able to somehow continue, or at least be aware. Also, suicide is not in my nature in the least, despite the knowledge. But I should continue as I am making even less sense now that I have been sidetracked by my own apologizing and selfishness yet again. I took a few pictures the first few days. It was some of the people posing with smiles, some were working on the upkeep of the structures, occasionally supply runs when I rode along. You probably got an email or two from Umait. The pictures were kind of boring actually. It almost looked like some corporate brochure or stock photos. I sent you the first payment after about a week of doing it. The people there were not hippies actually, they were a bit closer to Amish to be honest. And after the first day or so, Cole made no more attempts to hide the fact that he was considered a member of them. When I say Amish, I don't mean in the whole sexual repressed sense. I mean, these Radix folks were definitely active in the sack, but more in the strict workday and handyman sense. They had these little statues cut out of wood that were on several of the surfaces around. I guess I would call them totems. I didn't ask about them at first. I was on their payroll and therefore 
I was not going to start to take pictures of stuff that I was not told to, like a journalist of some sort. But still, curiosity was in me. When I looked a bit closer at some of the objects, they were smooth and made from some kind of hardwood. They did not appear to be any obvious statue or animal, but it had a kind of familiar feeling to it just the same. Maybe I saw something in a book somewhere. A few of these totems looked like aquatic creatures, I suppose. And there was one that looked a bit like a model of a cell from a biology classroom. But the shape was very organic, lifelike almost. I swear at one point, one changed location to another part of the table when I wasn't looking. But I dismissed this because that would be impossible. There was a mealtime where they mainly ate vegetables and some kind of tofu. And you know me and tofu. I was going to have to be a bit more than starving before I ate any of that stuff. I ate some of the veggies, but I had brought enough junk food for a while so that I would not have to submit to eating tofu for another week at least. After a few weeks, I realized that I was sleeping a lot more than I normally would. I didn't have a working clock anywhere and my phone was off, but the sun was always higher in the sky when I got up, and not just the seasonal change. By my estimations, I was sleeping about 14 or 15 hours a day. Messed up dreams too, although I can't remember them, much other than the fact that I hated them. I noticed that whatever thing had been affecting Cole and the teenager was affecting almost everyone in the place at least to some degree or another. I wondered if I walked into some kind of leper colony, but a lot of the people didn't even seem to notice they were looking different. The only thing that I could find that was completely and undeniably in common was the whole weekend voice thing. People talked but it was always so quiet. It felt like less a haunted castle and more a monastery come to think of it. I woke up one night after a nightmare that I couldn't remember. My mouth was dry and I was feeling that strange, both freezing and burning thing on my body at the same time. I had left my bottled water in one of the common areas and I stumbled out of my trailer. When I stepped outside, it was like the weather could not figure out what it was doing. The wind was gusting, but then would go silent. I could hear insects, and then it would just stop. The sky was filled with stars one moment, and just a dark mass of clouds the next. It was confusing, and I wondered if I was tripping or something. When I made it into the building to find my pack, I could not help but notice that almost if not all of those totem things were on one long table together, as if everyone here had turned them in at the end of the night like punch cards after the end of a factory shift. I found my backpack and started to head back to my trailer. I can't remember if I ever felt so tired in my life, but I also worried about how I was feeling. So I remember that there were beds and curtains in the other building where Cole and Brianna slept. I made my way to the next building, tripping over some pots and buckets, cursing as I fell to the cold ground. I got up and found my way to the door, but when I walked in, it was so silent that I instantly knew that there was no one there. All the beds were empty. I think I was alone in the camp. I went back to bed and I slept, but my illusions of safety were starting to fade away. There was some kind of sickness here, and although not acknowledged, there was a cult here of some flavor. I hated it, but I would have to try to find out what was happening or leave sooner rather than later. I have a cool head, and I still had a cool head when I realized I was alone. This was not as odd as it looked, I told myself. This was an odd group with an odd religion of some kind, and they didn't really talk about it much. Maybe they were just on some nature thing or in the outer grounds, around the fire telling stories, in their very hushed voices. When I got up and went to find Cole, the sun was out and the flowers were soaking in the light like they had been a week ago at the cafe. Cole, Brianna, Raphael, as well as several of the other radics, had gone down to meet the supply boat at the river for some more seeds, fresh produce, and some other items to help them keep up with their maintenance. Getting coal alone was a hard thing to do, but when the others went to the boat, I seized the opportunity to speak to him. 
even if it was just for a minute. I used the excuse of wanting to show him a few of the pictures I had taken in digital format. He assured the others he would be there in a moment to help with the boxes. Cole, I said with some urgency in my voice. What did you want to show me? He asked in that damnable whisper. I have enough pictures already to supply a scrapbook store for a month. I lowered my voice. What the hell is going on here? Why did you really bring me here? And don't tell me some bull about it being about getting to know life up here either, because you guys don't talk hardly at all anyway. What do you want? He looked worried for a moment as he licked his lips. It's just like I said. I mean, that's why you were here. You are getting paid, right? Yes, Cole. But there is something else you're not telling me. You don't need a live-in photographer, no matter how charming you think your group is. What has Brianna gotten you into? He started to space out again, and I almost felt like slapping him. But then, he started to speak so quietly, I had to lean in to hear him. I thought you might be able to help us. Help her. I heard sadness in that quiet voice. With what? What is going on here? When he didn't answer right away, I asked again. Is it what is making people sick? Sick? He spoke with honest confusion. Yeah, you guys getting all clammy, pale, losing your voices, that kind of thing. Oh, he said, looking down at his hands. Yeah, that's not really... I interrupted, trying to keep track of where the others were. I am not sure what this group or cult is into, but... This time, he interrupted as he put his hand on my shoulder. It's too late, Eric. The defeat in his voice was so strong, I could almost taste it. I love her so much. I just wanted to get her away from it. She was always so sure of herself, but there was this thing in her heart from her past, and I wanted to get help. Help her face it here. When were you going to tell me this? I asked with concern. Back at the cafe. I wouldn't have been far enough away from them, so... They didn't know what I was doing, but then you mentioned Leah, and a baby being born into this, and I just thought you could do the job I told you about originally and go home with some money. Born into this? I said with some frustration building. I don't know what this is, but you can rest assured my kid won't come anywhere near this cult, or Brianna, or anything else. It doesn't matter anymore. He was now a mixture of several different raw emotions. She isn't going to leave, and I can't either, and it wouldn't make a difference if I did. Cole had given into despair, and that was where he was speaking from now. He had convinced himself that there was no way out of the Radix. That's crap, and you know it, I said with some force behind it, hoping that my anger might bring some sense to him. Look, I don't know what they have you doing here, but we can just get on the next boat and leave. He looked at me for a long time, then thinking hard. I knew we did not have much more time to talk, but I wanted him to think. You haven't been eating the food, have you? He said finally, as if coming to a realization. The subject change surprised me. What does that have to do with anything? I have never seen you eat the meat. That tofu crap? No, not really. I ran out of my crap yesterday, so I had some. But that's it, I... Then it hit me like a landslide. The food... That's what's making you sick and stuff. That hippie whatever it is, that... Yes. He cut me off. But it's not sickness like you know it. It's more than that, Eric. Look, it's not tofu. It's more of a fungus. It's the old growth and it... We both saw Raphael coming with the followers and boxers. He quickly said, It's what keeps us here. But you have only had some, so you can still get out of here. I lifted my camera to a picture of one of the women picking flowers. Shelly here. I think she would be the face of you guys. She looks pretty and also kind of vulnerable, which is what you guys want, right? Cole nodded and turned to the others. They did not speak, but he went and grabbed boxes off the boat, slipping back into his old routine again. Need any help with that? I asked, probably with a bit too much cheer in my voice. No said Raphael and turned back to his task. Cole did not say another word to me the whole way back to the camp, but I had a lot more information than I had earlier. The cult had been drugging its people with mushrooms or the equivalent thereof, 
It sounded like they got their people addicted to it for loyalty and control. Same old story. I thought to myself as the boxes were unloaded. I had only one serving of the stuff, so I was not drinking the proverbial Kool-Aid. The fact that I had put that venom in my body, even if it was just a little, had me worried, though. I made a note to get a physical when I got home. If they were processing this stuff, it also explained why I had been sleeping so much. It was probably in everything I touched around here. I was so foolish for thinking that I could do anything other than leave. That's what I should have done, I know now. But you know me. That never-leave-a-man-behind-manly-crap that my father, the Marine, had put into my head for all those years started kicking in. After we got back to the camp, I decided that in the next two days, I would find some way to get Cole out of there and be a hero. I envisioned all sorts of stupid stuff, like me and Cole sitting around having a beer, thinking back to these times and what a crazy thing I did. That night, I got myself coffee. A lot of coffee. The next boat would be coming in three days, and I would get us out of here. Coming up with a plan meant that I needed to find out what happened here at night, so that I could find the best time for us to leave and get back to the Umait oil camp. I had brought my own coffee and I was reluctant to use their water, so I made sure that I boiled it for a while before using it for anything. I washed the windows for a few hours on and off, trying to find the moment that they left. Hours passed with no events, some of them occasionally stopped by the fires, a few of them munching on that fungus. Yuck. But nothing to indicate an exodus. This group, or whoever they were, or what they wanted, was not very missionary at all. They weren't knocking on doors trying to get people to worship the almighty Mushroom Christ. They never showed any interest in me joining their cult either, so maybe they would not care much if Cole and I left. Being in this far over my head, sometimes it's hard to tell which way the surface is, and somehow, I just kept going deeper down. I finally saw them walking into the building where the totems had been left before, probably their pre-prayer meeting. Cole and Brianna were among them. I dodged a flashlight beam that was aimed at my window, probably checking to see if I was awake or not. I returned to the window and no longer saw any of the radics. They were most likely in the building, so far as I could tell. I threw on my coat and crept out of the door. I brought my small camera with me, just in case the authorities would want to see anything at some point that might explain the events here. It was just above freezing when I walked out, and my body did not like the cold night air as my muscles tensed up as soon as I emerged. I am sure the stress did not help my body relax either. My eyes were adjusting to the dark. I had not seen any wildlife since I'd been here, but I was still nervous as to what I might find, or what might find me, for that matter. I saw the Radix exit the building in single file. Only the person at the head of the line had a flashlight, and the rest were simply following him. They were so quiet, and the terrain so bad that I was having trouble keeping up with the line while staying out of sight. They must have walked this path or course often, as they had no trouble at all in their journey. It was as if the line were a snake, moving deceptively fast as it slithered on the ground. My anxiety raised even more as I realized that they were getting too far ahead of me, and I would lose sight of them soon. It had been about an hour since we left the compound, and it was overcast, so there was not much natural light at all, especially where I found myself. I decided that in a worst-case scenario, I would simply wait until they started their trek back, and I would have to follow them again. They had disappeared over the ridge, and by the time I reached the summit myself, I could no longer see them at all. I resigned myself to sit and wait in the cold, arid night, feeling more than a bit sorry for myself. Despite the rationing I had been putting myself on, I grabbed the granola bar from my pack and decided to enjoy it while sitting on the most comfortable rock I could find within six feet of me. I felt a bit like I was in prison that night, but the walls were just an endless sea of black landscape all around me. I was amazed at how quickly my mind started playing tricks on me. I kept thinking I heard sounds in the wind that were sometimes human, sometimes certainly not human. Every time I tried to focus with my senses on something, though, it turned out to be nothing. Even my eyes were betraying me as I swore that I saw indistinct shapes moving in the distance. But the darkness was so pervasive that I dismissed it as me being paranoid. 
It was very hard to tell how much time passed in that place, but I am pretty sure it was at least an hour, maybe two. I don't think I ever cursed so much in my life. Finally, though, I saw a light from another ridge that must have been another mile away from where I sat. It was not the expected flashlight, though. This was something more fundamental than that. You see, the clouds were clearing on the horizon and the moon was rising, so the entirety of the scenery and landscape became clearer. I felt better knowing at least that my footing could be a bit better, but the bleak vista was still disheartening, and I was still just as lost as before. Before I made to sit down again, I heard a sound cut through the air from the horizon that moon was rising from. It sounded like something between the sound of a flute and an animal howl. I squinted and saw human shapes on the move. I remember my camera had zooming capability and pulled it from my bag to get a better view. I saw them as they danced in the moonlight, but they were so far away that I could have imagined it to be dancing. I could not tell even through the lens what was happening with any clarity, silhouettes in rhythmic motion, some of them far too large to be human, but I reminded myself I was staring through a digital medium in low light, and that can make things look very different, especially at such a distance. Some of the light was not just the moon. They must have lit fires or provided some other form of luminescence. I could have sworn that there were other structures there that had not been there at first. Buildings and obelisks were clearly there now, and of course had always been there, but the shifting conditions must have made them invisible until this moment. Perhaps it was another camp that they had walked to, or some Inuit shrine. My heart thumped in my chest with the wonderment of what I was seeing. I was amazed at my own naivety, to the point where I actually got mad. How could I have gotten myself stranded in some place that was even more remote than the middle of nowhere, watching my acquaintance and his girlfriend's cult of freaks doing some kind of pagan ceremony, while I simply froze and watched? This was not me. This was someone else, I told myself. There was another howl of music from the location, and almost as if on cue the clouds covered the moon, again like a curtain call for the sky. My sense of isolation increased exponentially as the darkness wrapped around me. I am not ashamed to admit that I felt like crying at that moment. My pity party had increased in strength to a pity festival. I kept looking for the light of whoever would be leading the group back from the expedition all the while running all the terrible scenarios in my head about being lost out here. Finally, I saw the flashlight beam come back in the ocean of darkness up ahead. I hid behind my rock while keeping my eyes on the light. The procession traveled by me at its oddly fast pace while I looked on from about ten feet away, trying not to be seen. I heard no footfalls as they went by me. It gave the odd impression that they were floating by. They moved over the terrain with such ease. I followed them back closer than I had when they left, now with slightly more confidence in my footing. They filed back into the building, and I quickly made my way back to my trailer. Exhaustion finally defeated my bewilderment, and I fell into a mercifully dreamless sleep. By the time I woke up, it was mid-afternoon, and I still felt tired. Business as usual was moving around the camp. I wanted to find Cole and talk to him again, but I was pretty sure that was not going to happen. I saw him with Brianna, and he had that distance in his eyes that made me want to rescue him all the more. This drug, or fungus, that they had been taking was like some kind of depressant that made them listless and compliant. Even though I knew that they left in the night for their gala, I still felt completely ignorant as to what was happening. I will never understand my ability, as well as many other men, to try to cover up their stupidity with more of it in guise of courage. I looked at the landscape around and thought back to the map that I looked at before leaving on this insane enterprise. I figured out where they had gone more or less, and where I would waited that night. I decided to meet them halfway and follow them to the site. I wanted to be close enough to get pictures and evidence this time. I may be a fool but I also wanted to be safe. I grabbed some of the gasoline from the backup generator storage and filled four glass bottles along with some cloth. I also took a small pry pan in case I needed to bash my way out. I also thought of Hansel and Gretel and bought a box of cold thumbtacks to leave myself a trail of proverbial breadcrumbs. I was out of my food so I got myself a bushel of carrots 
and as many other non-tofu fungus items as I could. I was aware that some of the fungus probably was still in this food, but I only had the last two more nights before the boat would arrive, and Cole and I would be out of this place and on our way back to the oil camp in Umait, where we could fly back to Anchorage and then home. We could then go to the doctors and fix whatever had happened to him, and whatever had started to happen to me. I would leave before any of them did, pretty much as soon as it got dark. Despite my plan, I still tried to get a moment with Cole. I was successful for a moment, only when Brianna was in the outhouse, and he stood waiting next to one of the garden areas. There were still others around, but not within earshot as far as I could tell. Cole, we are leaving day after tomorrow. He looked at me and smiled in a way I never wanted to see again. There was a placid numbness in the smile but also a foreboding knowledge somewhere in his eyes. Well, mates, I won't ruin this for you by divulging more information about this tale, but we'll finish this off Friday. And a big thank you again to Feastringer for submitting this tale. As a heads up to you lovelies, I won't be uploading an episode this coming Monday, as I'll be out as it's a public holiday in Australia. I'll be wading through waist-high waters this weekend to catch some blue marine crabs, or rather, try to catch them, <laughs> for a delicious dinner. One of my favorite dishes is curry, or luxa crab, or even simple garlic butter. Yum! I'll mention this again on Friday, just in case anyone misses this episode. What do you think that our protagonist is going to do? What will he encounter, do you think? Seems like his friend Cole is a, uh... Dead man walking beyond help. But we'll see. I can't wait to read the second part. Okay, you awesomes. I'll see you Friday. And as always, till next we meet.